welcome to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for early August 2019. My name is Tom Chick, and I'm not playing Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. Uh, hi there, my name's Tony Carnavale, and I'm not playing Black Angel. Mm. And my name is Mike Pullman, I am not playing Arkham Horror Final Hours. Right! Well, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's going to segue perfectly into what I want to talk about, Mike Pullman. Real quick, Mike Pullman, you're going to tell us about Gen Con after Tony and I talk about a, a specific game. Was Black Angel something that you saw at Gen Con? And if so, would would I have been able to get you to get me a copy at Gen Con and I missed out? Yes, I could have gotten it. I want one, too. <laughs> if only Some things were, were, were very hard to get, but that one I... Would I could have gotten in the first couple? Oh, of I would have totally bought that. <laughs> Fortunately, it's an Asmodee game, so I don't imagine there's going to be a short a shortage in terms of right. what's actually available. Yeah. Right. Same with that Arkham Arkham Horror game. It's going to be available pretty soon. Right. Okay. Now, what's that silly thing called? Tell me the name of it again, Mike. Arkham Horror Final Hours. Final um, Hours. Tony, do you know is... what this is? Arkham Horror Final Hours. Yes. Isn't it Final Hour? Maybe it's is Final, it final hours? hours. I don't remember. Uh, I didn't actually they... play it. <laughs> It's uh, it's a game which distills down Arkham Horror-ish gameplay mm-hmm. into literally. Is it literally one hour? Is it like timed, or is it just? Ew. Is I it think just it's, it's just meant to be an hour uh, play. Okay. Uh, and and this is one very uncharacteristic of Fantasy Flight. They announced and released the game at the same time. Usually they kind of build up the hype for it, and then it's available right. early at Gen Con. So, who's right. surprised? All right, well, first of all, I'm going to sit here and fold my arms and go, harumph, I'm not buying that. And, and uh, of course, as soon as it's available, I'll, I'll buy it anyway. But right now, I'm not buying that. Uh, the simultaneous announce and release seems in keeping with the theme of the game, to be honest. It's true. F- because of the final hour? The final hour. we got to work fast. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, well, here's my problem with Arkham Horror Final Hour. I don't need a hour, a, a, the Arkham Horror experience distilled down to an hour because I've already got that. Uh, in a super old game I've been playing, which does something remarkable that I have never seen before, and I want to ask you guys if you've seen this before, but I am playing uh, uh, Elder Sign Omens, which has been dismissively described, although it's not entirely inaccurate, as Cthulhu Yahtzee where you uh, just roll a bunch of dice, and instead of numbers, they've got like little icons on them. One represents terror, one is peril, one is lore. You get little clue icons. And you roll these dice, and you assign them to tasks, which is just a pattern of dice. You know, like, I need uh, three clues and a terror and a peril. And then if I beat that, yeah, I, 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 I win the reward, and then I get to keep playing. If I don't beat that, the little clock that determines the loss condition starts going up. Very straightforward. Uh, does either of you know Elder Sign Omens from its original incarnation? Is that something either of you has played? Yep, I actually bought that right when the uh, it came out originally, the first edition. And it's super old, right? Like 20? Yeah, it's, uh, I would guess, 10 years old, but yeah. I'd have to look. Tony, do you know yeah, this I've, game? I've played it uh, briefly on Steam. Yes. I actually think that the Steam version is Elder Sign Omens, and then the hard copy is just called Elder Sign. Oh, is that true? Let me look at the box. Hold on. And in fact, they may be different games slightly. I don't know for sure. Okay, you're right. There's no omens on the front of this box. That never even occurred to me. Very good, Tony. Um, Here's the thing is that's how I know it as well, Tony, is it was actually an Apple, an iOS game, and then it was ported to Steam, and I played it on both places. Um, And it is a pretty faithful port of Elder Sign, um, 
what one cool thing that the Steam and the iOS version does is it really highlights the artwork more in that it can use the it can it can make a big old full screen representation of the artwork and then put the interface info in a little corner or something. Whereas in the the actual board game, they're limited by card real estate, so the artwork gets squeezed down and it needs text. But the the video game version can have information spread across different screens, uh, so it's more evocative of their their artwork, their their Cthulhu artwork. Which, by the way, they must get so much mileage out of this artwork. Like I've seen this stuff yeah. in in like ten different, almost literally ten different games. These same pictures used over and over again. Uh, totally. And they're using it again in the uh, the new game also. <laughs> uh, well, in a way, I in a way I don't mind because I the, I don't think of their games necessarily as Lovecraftian as this pulp adventure representation of what they think Lovecraft is, and it's kind of their own universe, right? And I've I've come to know these characters across multiple games. So if they were to suddenly change the picture of Bob Jenkins or whatever, or what what a an old one looks like. Uh, it, that might be conspicuous. Like I kind of like that. There's this consistent fantasy flight Lovecraft universe, even though I think it's kind of dopey and doesn't really merit the Lovecraft name. So I don't I don't mind the the repurposing of the artwork that much. Um, so at any rate, the the video game version is super true to the original release back in I don't know 2010 whenever. But I think as a tabletop game, it's not really that good because it is just. Cthulhu Yahtzee, and there's not a lot of gameplay systems at work here. You know, you've got your investigator's health and sanity, and when those are depleted, oh, your guy dies. You have to draw a new one, and it moves the clock up a little bit more. Uh, but, but generally, you've got laid out in front of you just six cards, and each card has these Yahtzee tasks, and you do the task, and you discard the card, and you put a new one out. So you're just looking at rolling these dice with these few different symbols, matching the pattern, then discard the card, put a new one out. Discard the card, put a new one out. At any given time, you're looking at, like, what, six cards. You pick whichever one you think you can do. And it's all right there, splashed out in front of you. And a lot of times you'll get into kind of a death spiral where because some of the things make the cards more difficult by putting, like, a monster token on it or taking away some of your uh, special abilities. And uh, So some, sometimes you're playing and you're looking at six things and you can't do most of them. So you have to do one where the odds are really poor and you fail and then it takes away some of your resources and it makes it that much harder to do the other ones. So there's a death spiral and you eventually lose. And that's that. So this came out in 2010. It's a pretty unremarkable board game at this point in time. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago, I think, about uh, – I'm going to try the name, Mike. Tell me if I'm right. Doppelt So Clever? Good job. Yeah. So we, we talked about that Yahtzee game, and there's a lot of really cool takes on how to use dice and scoring mechanisms uh, in different clever ways. And I think that Elder Sign is an early instance of that, and it's since been improved quite a bit. So just plain bare Elder Sign, yeah, it's a lot like the video game version. They can't do as good a job with the presentation of the artwork. And there's even music, by the way, like creepy music in the video game version. Uh, and just the simple act of doing these dice throws and hoping to match patterns, there's not much to it. And especially as you start failing, it just becomes this spiral of failure and then uh, whatever. Like most of the games that I play... I eventually see, okay, I'm going to win, I'm just going to mop up, or, oh gosh, I'm never going to win this, I might as well quit now and restart. But here's something remarkable that happened to Elder Sign that I have never seen in a board game before. Now, we've all seen board games that come out and then get an add-on, and the add-on makes it better. Sometimes we see a board game that's not even very good, 
and then an add-on comes out, and you're like, yeah, okay, with the add-on, that's that's pretty decent now. And so it's a game you end up talking about, about, yeah, GameX is decent, but you really need the add-on to, to, to enjoy this. Mm-hmm. So there, there are several add-ons, as you might imagine, it's Fantasy Flight, for Elder Sign, uh, and even these little like separate adventures, which have multi, multiple stages. But there's one add-on for Elder Sign that you buy. It's called Gates of Arkham. And Gates of Arkham basically says, hey, here's these components. Take the components in Elder Sign that you bought, uh, throw most of them out, and replace them with these components. And the new components that you put in, it basically guts Elder Sign and replaces the engine. It's a whole new gameplay system. The, the, the actual Yahtzee stuff of matching the patterns, that's still there. But the way that the patterns, the tasks, the adventure cards, the way they're presented, completely different. Nothing like the original Elder Sign. In the original Elder Sign, you deal out six cards. They're sitting there face up. You pick the one you want to do. Gates of Arkham does a really cool thing where the back of each card has an Arkham Horror location, like uh, Hibbs Roadhouse or Velma's Diner or Miskatonic University or the uh, the Witch House or the Black Cave, uh, all this stuff you might recognize from the Arkham Horror game. And the back of each card, instead of dealing out these face-up Yahtzee patterns, you deal out these locations by putting the cards face down. And furthermore, each location has a special power. So when you go to that card, you can cash in stuff for a reward, or maybe there's a unique danger, or maybe while that location is out, it's applying a penalty to you. But you go to that location, and each location has three different adventures, or basically Yahtzee patterns, tasks, underneath it. You never know which one. When you go to the Arkham Asylum, you know, generally you know it's going to be something that will recover sanity for your character. But of the three cards that have Arkham Asylum on the back, where you get a free point of sanity back, one of them is this like crazy monster autopsy that brings out a powerful monster. You never know which one, and it's a super difficult combat challenge. One of them is a super easy challenge to just uh, recover the rest of your sanity. Each location does something special, but then has one of three adventures underneath, and you never know which one. So you're presented with a whole new system representing hidden cards with special powers uh, that drives, and it even does, it's called Gates of Arkham, because it does this whole fancy new thing with the way you go to these other worlds, like Yugoth or Rolye or uh, the Dreamlands. Um, but what's really ridiculous now is I've got this whole set of cards for Elder Sign that are obsolete, that are useless, that are sitting in another box that were completely replaced, overhauled with this Gates of Arkham uh, uh, add-on. So now that that's there, I have been playing a fair bit of Elder Sign, uh, and unlike the bare, naked, vanilla original release of Elder Sign, I really like it with Gates of Arkham. So, so and I guess neither of you has seen the Gates of Arkham version, right? No, in fact, you know, when I got the original game way back when, uh, my group kind of bounced off it kind of for what the reasons you said, which is it just wasn't very exciting. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually kind of intrigued. I had not heard of uh, this uh, expansion replacing rules. And the yeah, thing I is, haven't, uh, mm-hmm. I ahead, haven't seen it either, but I'm I'm curious. I'm surprised, actually, because I it seems to me like all this was made before they knew how to make good games. Well, 2010 is definitely like Gar- Gates of Arkham. So they learned how to make good games in 2008 with Pandemic. I'm not sure. Okay. So, yeah. So unfortunately, some people still make bad games even after we've invented the art of good game design. <laughs> Elder Sign Naked is an example of that. And Elder Sign Naked, by the way, the video game version, 
I kind of, I think, enjoy it just as a time waster. Uh, there aren't a lot of board games. There are plenty of palate cleanser board games that I'll play with my friends or even some solitaire palate cleansers. But I don't know. I, I think of some video games as time wasters are fine, but I can't really think of any board games that I would consider time wasters. Because if I'm going to sit at a table and set something up, I want it to be worth my time. But sometimes when I boot up a game, I just want to like pop bubbles or match three. Like those time waster kind of things on iOS especially, those are fine. But So I enjoyed the original Elder Sign as the video game version as a kind of a video game time waster. I don't want time wasters on my tabletop. I don't want to waste my time when I'm sitting at the tabletop. Uh, so the weird thing about the video game version of Elder Sign, it incorporates some of these other add-ons for Elder Sign. And there are at least four other add-ons for Elder Sign besides Gates of Arkham. Uh, and I think none of which use Gates of Arkham, by the way. Uh, these four other add-ons, they're all in the video game version. But what's not in the video game version of Elder Sign, Elder Sign Omens, Gates of Arkham. The one expansion that completely revises it, and that's because it would require an entirely new interface. Like, the way information is, pre is presented is completely different in Gates of Arkham, and there's no way they could put that into this design for Elder Sign that they have for the iOS and Steam. Uh, so, yeah, I, can you guys think of other games that were essentially overhauled with an add-on or, or an expansion? I remember us talking about the Fallout board game. And you and uh, Hassan telling me I essentially needed to get the expansion to play it. <laughs> so I think the thing that's a good. I'm glad you brought that one up, Mike, because I think what the uh, the add-on for Fallout does, and I think it's called New New California, uh, yep. is it makes it a viable solitaire game. Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily overhaul it as I guess it does kind of overhaul the solitaire version, but the solitaire in, in Fallout feels like an afterthought. It doesn't really work very well, uh, and New California finally made it work very well. Not necessarily by overhauling the system but by adding components that make the system work better but that is kind of a good example mike because i would never recommend if you want a solitaire game don't get the fallout game unless you get uh the new california add-on if you want a good dice chucking game don't get elder sign unless you get the gates of arkham uh, add-on so that is a good comparison you know it's interesting speaking of games that uh, have been overhauled with an expansion i think really it's not surprising that Elder Sign happened that way because Fantasy Flight is so intent on pumping out expansions that it, more often than not, it seems like their games maybe aren't 100% improved by expansions, but they are fundamentally changed in usually negative ways, but through bloat with expansions. Right. I mean, just if looking at Eldritch Horror, which I played for the very first time just recently, um, I very specifically just obtained... Eldritch Horror and the first expansion Forsaken something? Forsaken? <laughs> oh, Relics. Forsaken Artifacts. It's, it's the one that adds like that. Right, right. Which I was told is is man, is kind of mandatory and it like makes the game complete, but then uh, what people say about many of the other expansions is that they introduce these unwieldy wards as if Eldritch Horror needed more table space being taken up uh, by other boards and that they kind of bog down the game and and screw up the elegant simplicity yeah. of Eldritch Horror, which was the entire point of Eldritch Horror, was to provide a simpler take on Arkham Horror. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Uh, and that, that's what happens, I think, with the Elder Sign expansions, is, other than the Gates of Arkham, which just completely revises it, is they just add these whole new gameplay stages and, like, sideboards and different challenges. Uh, it's, I mean, it's taken... The, yeah, bloat is exactly the word for a lot of what Fantasy Flight does, but occasionally... 
there are ways that they kind of fix issues with the initial design. And I'm kind of hoping that that might happen with the first add-on for Arkham Horror 3rd Edition, uh, mm -hmm. which is also due out soon, is mm -hmm. the scenarios in that felt super straight-jacketed, like almost these puzzles that you solve and then you're done with them. Uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of wiggle room or a lot of time to sort of gear up your characters and do that early, uh, hey, I'm getting more powerful stage of the game. You just had to like go straight through to solve the puzzle before the time ran out. And if you didn't do that, you failed. So hopefully they'll add expansions or systems or, or whatever, scenarios, uh, to breathe more life into that third edition game uh, before mm -hmm. they pile on the inevitable bloat, by the way. Because <laughs> right, right. that's kind of what happened <laughs> with that Forsaken Age thing for Eldritch Horror is they just added more cool stuff in there, like more cool variety with cards that you draw that do one thing on one side, and then the other side, there are multiple copies, like curses. You draw a curse, and it does a thing to you, yeah. And then when you turn it over, it can do any number of different things. So they added more different curses and surprises. The spells work that way, too. Is you cast a, a spell, and then you turn it over to see what unique effect any given version of the spell. Like, there are multiple copies of each spell, and each right. one can backfire in different ways. So that Forgotten Age, or Forsaken Age, whatever it is, just added more variety to that basic concept. Yeah. Speaking of those little cards, by the way, is it? Uh, do you consider it cheating to look at the backs of those cards before <laughs> you're instructed to flip them. Excellent question. Mike, do you know what we're talking about? And for Arkham Horror or for... Oh, well, well, pretty much any game where there's yeah. where there's a game where you're supposed to be surprised by, like, uh, like the the same card will have different information yeah, or yeah. different effects when you flip it over. Is it cheating to go through and look at all the instances of that card? Well, I'm... we're not, not even just to do that, but when it's dealt to you. Is it cheating to look oh. at what the Oh, yeah, totally. I, I oh, think really? it is, because, okay. you know, Arkham Horror, like, had those conditions, and then when they resolved, something bad might happen yeah. to you. And I think that's, you know, you got to resolve it to find out what the effect was. That's my feeling on Wait, it. Wait, Tony, when you guys played Eldritch Horror, were you doing that? Like, looking at what's on the other side of your card? <laughs> no, I was not. I was okay. not, but I don't know of too many games that uh, have information on a card that you're supposed to look at, and then require you not to look at the other side of the card i know games where the cards are face down and provide no information on the back and you're not supposed to flip the card until a certain uh a certain condition is met right but i don't know of too many games outside of the fantasy flight Arkhamverse that use this system with a two-sided card where one side where uh one side is unique but you don't get to see that side until you're instructed to flip it. I, I honestly can't think of another game outside of that universe that has that mechanic, but mm -hmm. I could be. I'm going to go on the record and say, oh, sure there is, but that, but also I can't think of it right now, so <laughs> you might be right. But <laughs> I, right. I, I love that mechanic, though, as as a, a way of introducing uncertainty, and, and even, like, I like... I, I don't have any issue, by the way, with – because I think they're, they're curses in Elder Tor, right? Let's say they're curses, and let's say there's, like, I don't know, six different curses, and when you draw a curse, you never know which of the six is going to hit you when the right. curse triggers. I am a big proponent because I love looking at gameplay systems. I love looking under the hood. I'm totally okay with – when you're not playing, looking through all six of those curses to get a sense of what can happen. And maybe even knowing the game well enough to know all six of the curses. So that when mm -hmm. I draw a curse, I'm aware that one of six things is going to happen. I might know exactly all six of those, but I don't know which one. So I, I, I don't mind when they're supposed to like have that blind side of a card. Uh, I don't mind going through the game box and learning all that stuff as you play, because ideally the game would work just as well 
even if you know the possibilities that can happen to you without knowing the one specific one. Uh, mm -hmm. If we were to play Ark Eldritch Horror and I were to do that before we played, would you guys accuse me of cheating? Uh, no. I think so. I, I would I would bring it up just because, you know, there's even after you play one of these games a lot, you're not sure if you should be resolving that card because you don't know where the reward's going to be. And if you peek at it right when it comes to the board, then you're going to know whether or not you should be doing it. No, no, right, right. I would never peek yeah. at it when it comes to the board. I'm oh, talking you're about saying, you're before saying we play. Yeah, like I want to learn all the possibilities of the curse cards. No, I think that's fine. Uh, personally, I like to not look because I like to be yeah. surprised. So. Yeah. And, and that is, Mike, I think a, the, a lot of what Fantasy Flight caters to is people who just want to play a game where stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Not so then, much that you're manipulating systems, but you're sitting there and stuff happens. You flip over cards and stuff is going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, I think of these as systems that I manipulate, and I want stuff to happen, but I don't necessarily need – it's not like me knowing this stuff is a spoiler because I feel that way about narrative – uh, entertainment for the most part, but I don't think of board games as narrative entertainment, like watching a movie or reading a book or even playing a video game with a story. I think of board games as these cool interactive systems, and I mm -hmm. like understanding systems and knowing what the possibilities are. Uh, so, yeah, so if we ever play Elder Tor before we play, uh, you guys are going to have to give me about a half hour to go through all the cards and learn them. <laughs> uh, all right, so... Uh, super down. I'm super into the uh, gates of Arkham as far as a, a dice chucking, uh, systems driven challenge game. Tony, would you have another game you could recommend to someone like me who enjoys this Gates of Arkham uh, Elder Sign thing? Yes, I do. Now it has and, to have dice uh, and it has to have cool, unique characters. Uh huh. I've got both of those. Okay, it also has and... to have. Uh, go ahead. Well, I mean, uh, what, first tell me what else it has to have. I want to make sure it's got everything. Let's see. It has <laughs> to have – it has to have like uh, the things that I fight. In, in, in Arkham Horror, the things that I fight are locations, and the locations are consistent. Like in any given game, I know what's at the Miskatonic University or I know what's at the, the uh, Forsaken Island. In any given game, these places have – personality and you can almost think of these places as monsters that i have to fight so it has to have things with personality that i fight that are consistent from game to game tom i am happy to say that you're in luck i have a game that offers all those things and more mm. and by the way for fans of the uh, broader the the quarter to three cinematic universe i'm going to do my <laughs> dingus impression from the movie podcast right now this game is a 2019 american worker placement slash tower defense dice slash card game by todd walsh it's called set a watch i have the deluxe edition it is not rated uh, <laughs> now here's what it is it's a little a nice little compact uh game it's from the same publisher that brought you Maximum Apocalypse, which I've also started to get into. Mm -hmm. And it came That's out Rock recently. Manor Games, by the way. Rock Manor Games, yes. Mm -hmm. And I had heard about it. I'd heard people liked it. So I was poking around trying to find it. Everybody seemed to be out of stock. But on the Rock Manor Games website, if you look at their shop page, it is also out of stock. But if you look below the place where it says out of stock, there's a drop-down menu and if you click that drop down menu you can see that there are two options and the one selected by default is the i think it's called the retail option or the basic option there's also the deluxe edition which was still <laughs> in stock 
<laughs> and it was only $5 more than the basic edition. So I thought, sure, I'll pay five additional dollars to get this game. Um, and I did. And it arrived, and I've been playing it. And what it is, is it's a fantasy-themed Ugh. game. Yep, sorry, Tom. <laughs> Where you assemble a party. Uh, there's a number of characters that you can choose. They're all standard fantasy RPG trope characters. The deluxe edition adds two additional characters, the knight and the bard. Each of those characters has uh, a set of dice that they roll, which uh, are, you apply, well, I, you know what, I'm getting ahead of myself. So your little party, you assemble your party of four characters. And this is What if I want to play with three characters or five characters? You cannot do that. And you know what? I like that as far as like a difficulty level. Like some games have a hard time scaling with different numbers of characters. Uh, I I applaud a game that's just like, nope, sorry, four or none. You got to play four characters. If you want to play solitaire, take four characters. If you want to play with two people, each control two characters. But this game is for four characters, period. Yeah, I like that too. And contrary to the way I feel about a lot of games where you're controlling a bunch of characters, this game is streamlined enough and surfaces the information uh, clearly enough that I don't find it cumbersome. You don't have individual little hands of cards for each of the characters. Instead, uh, and you're not constantly shuffling and adding to your hand and kind right. of changing what's in your hand and thinking, okay, wait, did I did I use that that weapon? Did I run out of arrows? Did I get a magic arrow? There's not <laughs> const- There's not a lot of turnover of equipment in this game. Instead, each character is uh, represented by a large card, like a five by seven card. Uh, which just sits there. And on that card are the character's abilities, which are little small cards about the size of the Arkham Horror or uh, Eldritch Horror uh, Blessing and Mm -hmm. uh, Debt Condition cards that we talked about earlier. And each of those cards has an ability that your character can do. Um, Your characters are traveling, and they have to get through eight locations and by the way tony and, i just want to interrupt yeah. and say each each character is only ever three cards so a character in this game is mostly a set of three powers of three abilities that's right yeah that's right now there is some uh there are ways where you can change your abilities and swap abilities in or out yep. but um that happens relatively rarely and you don't want to be doing it a lot because if you change your abilities in or out you're sacrificing opportunities to do other things you pretty much want to if, if you want to change your abilities you're going to probably be doing it once or twice per character over the course of the game and that's actually kind of a lot you you, you might not even want to do it that much and what um, i really like too how that makes a character feel different from game to game each character feels yeah. unique but any given in any given game the bard might be able, be different from the last time you played him still does bard yeah. things but whichever three bard things he gets in that game will kind of determine how he plays which adds a lot of replayability yeah, that's very true. Um, so your party is traveling through eight locations, and each it, it takes them a one day to get to each location. And before they uh, go to sleep, well, actually, they rarely go to sleep because each night <laughs> only one of them gets to go to sleep. And you have to set a watch as the name of the game goes, and you select which one will go to sleep, and he gets to do some kind of housekeeping things and, and recuperate some of his abilities that he may have lost. Uh, and by the way, your abilities are also your hit points. If you've exhausted all your abilities uh, from all your active characters, you're you're dead. Um, you're not so dead. You just well, have to go rest. <laughs> no, well, no. If you exhaust all, 
if all your active characters who are on one. Oh, right, right. I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah, but if yeah, any yeah. character loses all of his hit points, he's not dead. He just has to stay home at camp for the day. If one individual character, correct. Right. Yes. Right. Um, yes. So. Uh, but you are right. So that is the fail state. Is your whole game. Yes. You've basically got 12 hit points. You're right. Yes. Yes. Which I love because there was a certain point when I last played it where I, I knew I was going to lose. Uh, but there were still uh, a couple it would have taken a while for me to actually lose if that was not the fail state. Um, right. Like if I had been allowed to keep going and, and recuperate some more cards and I would, I would limp along a little bit more and I was going to die. Uh, but I knew I was going to die, even though I was going to limp along a little bit more, but because of that particular fail state, it happened at almost exactly when I thought, uh, I'm definitely going to lose. Then that's when I lost. And I was like, I, I really liked that. Uh, yeah. There wasn't a long, drawn out period where i had to just play it out or just give up so anyway i still haven't really explained what's going on so you're, you have to go to these locations uh one per per night and you set a watch and uh the three people who are awake have to fight an onslaught of monsters that show up and they show up in a line and as any good uh camping party of adventurers <laughs> has you have a campfire and a certain number of monsters are illuminated by your campfire and how many monsters that is is determined by the amount of firewood that the uh, you you've chopped over the in, over the course of the game uh and tony do you fire... know real quick do you know the game thunderstone yeah. the deck builder i've heard of it i've never played it because they do something similar with their dungeon uh how far into the dungeon you can see how many cards in you can see is a oh, is cool. a, a factor of like light i think so yeah. Uh, so they do something similar with set of watch. Yeah. So how much you can plan is how brightly lit you have the area with your with your fire, your campfire. Exactly. And so basically each night this this row of monsters, a different row of monsters will show up each night, and how many is de de determined by the location you're in and some other factors. And each monster has a certain amount of hit points, and each monster, mo most of the monsters have maybe all the monsters. Certainly most of them have some special additional uh, ability that changes things and they interact with each other and some monsters contribute hit points to other monsters to, to buff them up. Some monsters jump to the front of the line. Some monsters have uh, abilities that trigger when they get to the front of the line. Uh, so you want to make sure you kill them before they get to the front of the line. Uh, and some of them have an ability that triggers when you reveal them. So that whole right. act of flipping over a card, sometimes that screws you. It's like, oh, yeah, it's scary yeah. when you turn over those cards very true and there's a whole system by which uh kind of big mean monsters which are called the unhallowed uh are are introduced periodically over the course of the game uh, i don't and, want those in my deck those are really powerful i don't want to fight those keep them out of my deck i don't want them yeah well when you draw a summon card i'm sorry but they get some, the unhallowed will show up oh. and how many summon cards are in your deck is determined by your difficulty level and tom i know you love making choices about difficulty level <laughs> and tuning the game based on how you want to play sometimes you like introducing your own house rules uh <laughs> and and mixing things up i know you love that so there are a, a dip, there's there's a way to scale the difficulty and basically all that the, the the one lever you have to change the difficulty i believe is how often and how many yes. boss characters, unhallowed characters, are going to show up and, and uh, try to kick your ass. Exactly, because when and a summon card comes up, you just replace it with a super badass boss, one with the unhallowed. That's right. Yeah. So the number of summon cards is the number of these bosses you have to deal with. Yeah. Exactly. And the so your characters, the, how you fight these things off, you, there's essentially two ways to fight monsters. One is 
Uh, each of your characters, in addition to having those ability cards, each character has three dice. Some of them are six-sided, some of them are eight-sided, depending on the character. Uh, so each character has either three six-sided or three eight-sided dice. And each night, you roll everybody's dice. And when the monsters show up, you can apply those dice to uh, punch the monster's hit points. That's one way to kill the monsters. You just combine dice. Uh, there's rules for range. Some characters can fire down the, you know, further into the the single file line of monsters that are approaching you. The Some monsters are, are curiously orderly. Like they're very yeah. polite. They queue up. It's very yeah. nice of them to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really uh, this really could be called fantasy DMV simulator. Uh, <laughs> so you're you're gradually what you either combine your your the dice numbers that you've rolled to punch the hit points or the more usually the more powerful and effective way, which requires a little more craftiness, is your dice also double if they're not if they're not used to punch hit points by using their raw values. You can instead apply each individual die as a worker. Uh, a wor they're, they're not called that in the game, but any <laughs> game player worth their salt will be familiar with this mechanic. You pick up a die. It is a worker. You place it on one of your ability cards, and now you have activated that ability and the abilities have all kinds of different effects some of which for instance uh, there's a cleric who can kill all the undead instantly with one of his abilities which is way more effective than if you just combined die point values to punch hit points um then there are other characters that change the order of the monster line which may be to your benefit for some reason based on the specifics uh and uh and so on and so bottom line is i really Wait, real think quick this tony very... does this means oh, yeah. that uh Oh, if I roll three ones, those ones can be super powerful. This isn't a dice game where I'm screwed right. if I get low numbers. Low numbers are just as good if I use them to trigger my powers as high numbers, right? That's absolutely true. That's crazy. I think, I think I'm, I may be ready to say that that is, to me, uh, a, a facet of game design that I really like. When games find yeah. ways to give you choices with bad die rolls. Can instance. I say one word? Yes. Troyas. Yep, I was about to say that word. <laughs> oh, and I Troyes knew you were because we played that a lot with each other, and I think we, I, we yeah. both love that game. Yeah, one of my favorite games. Uh, and in Troyas, you roll dice, uh, but people can buy those your your dice from you. Um, and yeah, and I forget why if you roll bad dice that that can be well because good. because the color of the die sometimes matters more than the number uh, uh, yeah sometimes maybe you have red dice that you really want to do something with and i've got one crappy red die but i'm going to make money from it because i know you're going to want to buy it that, uh that's right. yeah like troy is, knows just how to the, the guys who made that and that's why we're excited about black angel by the way they just did such a great job of making it a dice based game where the dice aren't only as good as the number is high like i, I love games that incorporate that yeah um, yeah. So and I said a watch great example of it as well. So yeah, go ahead. Yes. Sorry. It's a really, it's a really fun, really compact, really, uh, streamlined and flavorful game that combines a lot of mechanics that we may have seen individually in other games, but, uh, mixes them up in a fun way. And I really like this monster conga line that's approaching you. I think that's really, really fun and kind of neat. And, uh, yeah, I, I have a couple well, criticisms. <laughs> mm -hmm. Real quick, so Mike, you yeah. own a retail store, Gaming Goat, in uh, Littleton, I believe. Uh, Correct. Is this a game with any retail presence? And is actually Maximum Apocalypse, does, do any Rock Manor games have a meaningful retail presence that you know of? Uh, I do have Maximum Apocalypse. Set of Watch is not available yet. Okay. Um, 
because it was a Kickstarter. Uh, I have it pre-ordered, so I, I want to carry it because it looks like a cool game that I want to play. Uh, so it will be coming, I believe. Okay, good. Uh, all right, so so T Zone, you have Tony, you have uh, some criticisms of this. And by the way, I got the deluxe edition as well. So uh, I also have the what is the knight and the bard. But here's my yeah. issue: the bard sucks. Really? Oh, it's the worst character ever. You don't. I haven't you, played enough to be sure of that. But okay, tell me why. I, oh, so the the bard. So w- one of the things that I really like about this game uh, is how unique each character feels. So you you take four characters, and I think with the deluxe edition, is it eight, seven, whatever? There's there's enough in there where it's a tough choice which character you're going to bring because each character feels so different and interacts with the types of creatures or the way that the line works or the way that the locations work or the way that the camping works. Each character feels really unique in the way it interacts with the rest of the game, and it's super thematic stuff. Tony, you were mentioning the cleric has a card, an ability, that will banish all the undead. That can be huge, because in the deck of creatures, there's maybe, I think, 60... I forget how many creatures, but with the deluxe edition, you take a few of them out, but you're generally dealing with the whole set of creatures in any given game. And in the deck, I think there's like eight undead creatures and some of them really suck like the vampire steals one of your dice he's the only guy that does that and it's super thematic for a vampire like sucking away your life so not only and he steals it in its hit points so not only is he making himself stronger but he's making you weaker it's like he's almost hitting you twice because you have one fewer die and now you've got to fight that die that he's appropriated so vampires suck but if you have the cleric and he's got that ability, he can just wipe out all revealed undead. So suddenly these eight cards, one of which is a huge pain in the ass, with the cleric, that threat is super ameliorated. Like, I love how a game with the cleric makes me care less about the vampires than a game without the cleric, where I know those vampires are probably in there, uh, and I know I'm going to have to deal with them, and I can't rely on the cleric for that. Uh, The uh, rogue for instance, does a really good job of doing sneaky things with unrevealed characters, letting you look at stuff in the back of the line and attack things wherever you want in the line, uh, letting you use, like, a the rogue has a, a poisoned, and I don't know thematically what this is getting at, but the rogue has a poisoned dagger that gives a damage bonus to everybody's dice based on how many creatures are revealed. So it helps him if he if you flip up as many cards as you can and that makes the rogue's dagger even more powerful and that's a unique dynamic that only the rogue has uh so i love all of these unique cre- uh, characters and how they interact with this stuff the bard however i think sucks because he triggers off of human cards like uh there's a there's a really cool beastmaster you mentioned that all the characters have unique abilities and that's true with the exception of forest creatures there's like a wolf, a bear, and an eagle, and they just have a few hit points. There's no text in the box. In a way, it's a huge relief when those guys come up because they're they're just a couple of numbers that you have to punch out of the way. They're not going to do anything tricky. Uh, they're not going to add to this really cool puzzle that's created by that Congo line of monsters. The Beastmaster lets you basically just take those forest creatures and use them as your own hit dice. So... When those turn up in a normal game, yeah, I just got to punch that out of the way. When those turn up when I've got a Beastmaster, and there's you know six of those, there's two of each creature, then yeah, this is another die. This is a free die that I get with the Beastmaster. That's awesome. So the Bard benefits from human characters, and there's only four human characters in the game. And if those four don't show up, like, like I feel like the Bard's powers are tuned to stuff that happens way more rarely than the other characters. Uh, 
So yeah, I'm not a fan of the bard. Oh, so goblins. Guys, he also triggers off goblins. There's only two goblins in the whole stupid deck. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Have you guys played this both solo and multiplayer? And I'm just wondering where it falls on if it's better solo or not. I, Way better under, solo. Is it? Yeah. Because it's one of those things where Tony was mentioning that the characters don't have a lot of information. Like, it's easy to manage four characters because any given character is pretty straightforward. So if you give – so if you have four people sit there, each person's task is relatively minimal. Mm-hmm. One of the advantages of, of something like Eldritch Horror where each character eventually becomes a pile of cards – you know, each character has a bunch yeah. of stuff it can do and one player then gets all these options. When you're playing Set a Watch – and you've only got one character to play with, you know, when it comes around to you, it's kind of obvious what you need to do, and you're just kind of going through the motions. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's just not enough to do with any given character. Uh, It would work fine, by the way, and as far as people who play co-op games as a collaborative puzzle, yeah, it worked great. But people who want a bunch of options for what they're going to do with their character, uh, different ways they can contribute and different options for, you know, I'm going to go over here and do this, or I'm going to fly over to Japan (laughs) and do this task, or I'm going to go into this wing of the dungeon... It doesn't really have that kind of flexibility or that kind of breadth uh, to it. Okay. Cool. Um, Tony, how do you feel about uh, the uh, the the game board? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do know what you're talking about. Um, yes. Um, so uh, I'm I'm curious if it's any different in the non-deluxe edition, but I don't think it is. So the game board is this little magnetically sealed, uh, well, the box is a magnetically sealed box, uh, which I kind of like. Those are cool, yep. Yeah, and you flip it open, and all the bits are in there, and you take them out. Uh, But then the inside of the box functions as uh, part of the the game itself. Uh, There's some little, uh, there's places you might place your dice, for the camp actions, and there's places where you put certain stacks of cards. There's a stack of cards called the Horde, which is all the monsters you weren't able to defeat when they first came to the DMV. They're going to circle back uh, and try to get their registration from you at the end of the game. They're all going to gang up on you. Uh, And that Horde stack goes in the box. And I have to say, uh, I think it sucks. Why? Because most people would love that. Hey, there's no extra game board. The box is the game board. Why do why yeah, do you have a problem with that? It doesn't work well because it it's, the the sides of the box block your view of the inside yeah. of the box, yeah. and the lid of the box is like is trying to close, like the top of it is <laughs> trying to flip up and get out of your view, and and, yep. and you, it's uh, hugely inconvenient. I I know they thought it would be elegant and cool, but unfortunately, it uh, completely does not work. Also, there's a weird thing where some of the camp actions called runes are on the back of the location card deck. And I don't know why they did that. I don't know. You have to place your dice on the yeah. back of a stack of cards, which makes yep. no sense. Well, uh, well they're, they're play. I mean, like you said, there's places on there. So it's basically the backs of the cards for the locations are supposed to be like part of the game board. Cause you put your yeah. dice on the camp board and then there's a spot where the deck of cards for the locations is sitting. And then the back of those cards has a place printed for your dice so the idea is, hey, this is just part of the board as well. You know, put your dice up here too if you want to do this stuff. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't so, really work. And and I think it gets to Mike's question too of how is it with multiple players? Because I've got another game called The Ninth World that's set in the Numenari universe, whatever it's called, uh, <laughs> which does the same thing. Where and it's a big square box, like the size of a shoebox, the basic dimensions of a shoebox, and the the 
metallic flap that's folded around it, you unfold it and there's the game board. In theory, yeah, that sounds cool and it's saving space and saving it's, you know, components or having multiple use. It's the box and the board. But when you're playing with multiple players, especially anybody sitting on the other side of that dumb box can't see the board because right. the box is there. So, Tony, when you play a set of watch solitaire, yeah, it's weird to have to look down into the box. But imagine playing it with multiple players where someone is on the other side of the table and can't see the board because the box is necessarily between them and the board because of the way that the the flap is actually the, for the board is actually for the box is actually the board. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you in that. I think okay, I think they thought it was a cool gimmick, but in practice, I I think it's a bad idea. Uh, I think I, yeah. I think I'd take an exacto blade and cut it off and have a board. <gasps> Uh, that Joe, that Joe, oh my gosh, you're, you're cutting components. That's like tearing cards. You're making my skin crawl. No. <laughs> uh, Tony, here's my main problem with Set a Watch. Uh, okay, actually, two things. The name, Set a Watch. No, you, you set the. the I, I love the idea that one guy has to sit in camp. It's kind of charming, actually. Okay, we're going to go fight a battle. Uh, Wizard, you got to uh, go chop firewood this round while we go, like, fight monsters and do backstabs and fight giants and stuff you just chop firewood go up on that hill you know scout see how far you can see uh we'll be back in the morning <laughs> like that's kind of cute <laughs> but in practice i don't feel like i'm setting a watch so much as making one dude sit out this battle uh-huh uh-huh it's sort of like it's more like uh, send someone to the bench like that's that's what the title feels like it should be <laughs> right right okay uh, here, here's my main issue though uh and you're gonna probably make fun of me for this for something you brought up before but uh so playing gates of arkham recently the old one that you fight you know there's cthulhu there's nyarlathotep there's azathoth whichever one you pick that's kind of your difficulty level some are harder than others mm-hmm. uh in Set a watch, the difficulty level is strictly a function of how many of these summon cards do you shuffle into the deck. And you shuffle them in in such a way that they're equally distributed. Uh, the default is two of them. So you got a deck of like, uh, I think it's 30 cards, and there are two summons. So one in the first 15, one in the second 15. That's what's called normal difficulty. If you want easy, you just shuffle one summon card in there somewhere. And I think you can also do like hard and super hard by putting three or four in there. So in a game that has difficulty levels, I just play it on normal. On normal, Tony, I don't, I, I don't think you can lose. Like I think this game is super. Wow. I, I feel like I'm just going through the motions on normal. That it's going to be an inevitable win as long as I don't. I feel like I've cracked the puzzle for how to always win on normal. And I don't, I rarely say that because like, I don't feel you can solve quote unquote a game. I feel that that's stupid when people say that. But I think there's a course of action. As long as you just make sure to minimize how many of your abilities are exhausted, it's like taking wounds, as long Mm -hmm. as you do that and see it through to that final battle, I think you're going to always win on normal. That's been my experience. Uh, Tom is OP. (laughs) Well, so how have you found the challenge level, though? Um, I haven't played it enough to to make a solid conclusion one way or the other. But I would say my experience is not the same, is not that I can win every time on normal for sure. So let, uh, let me just put this bug in your ear. Next time you play, do whatever you can every turn to minimize the number of cards that get exhausted. Because that's another cool tool in the game too. Is each character has three abilities. You can use a die to trigger an ability, or you can use a die to punch a monster's hit points. But what you can also do is flip a card over to use that ability in the same way as if you'd used a die. So you've got three abilities, three dice. I can use the dice 
to punch a monster or to activate an ability. So there's three things I can do with those dice. However, each ability I can also flip it over. There's three things I can do there just by flipping the ability. So in a way, I can do six things with my character in any given turn. Now, it'll, it'll exhaust that character. If they're all flipped over, he's got to go to camp next turn. But yeah. any given character, I can do six things. Uh, and the temptation is, oh, well, I don't want to leave monsters alive because then they go to the horde and they'll come back and they'll make that final battle more difficult. I don't want to leave monsters alive, so sometimes I'm going to flip over some of these cards as needed. And mm-hmm. I feel that that is a big trap. Like, that's a kind of a honeypot. The game wants you to do that because then it makes the game more difficult. But if you minimize how many of those cards get exhausted, if you do whatever you can to make sure you come to that final battle, because all four characters go into the final battle. Nobody has to stay at camp and sweep up. If you minimize whatever you can where all four characters have all three of their abilities unexhausted, in that final battle then, each character has three dice and each character can flip over its ability three times. If you go to that final ability, that final battle, with six options for each character, I feel like it's a done deal, pretty much. Uh, and, wow, I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to try that. And it's just like, as I've played, I've sort of just minimized, okay, make sure nobody takes wounds, never use an ability if you can avoid it by flipping the card over, unless you know you're going to heal at the next turn. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and it's also a function, too. That also means that I'm playing with only two boss creatures in the deck. Uh, I'm sure that if I added a third and a fourth, then it would get a little sticky. So I feel like it's one of those games where the difficulty level on normal is relatively easy to, to quote-unquote solve, or you just crack the code for what you're supposed to do to win it. Uh, and I feel mm-hmm. like I need to play on harder now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, so set a watch, Gates of Arkham. Mike, you don't have just one game to tell us about. You went to Gen Con, and you could have brought me and Tony copies of Black Angel, but you didn't. Correct. So (laughs) what were you doing instead of scouting out copies of Black Angel for me and Tony? I was trying to do as much as I could in four days as possible, which is very difficult at Gen Con. It was even harder this year when I was talking kind of business retail stuff with some of the uh, publishers and stuff. Right, you had to go for work, not just for fun. I was doing trying to do both and mm-hmm. sleep a little bit, so it was uh, <laughs> packed four days. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to cover um, a few games that I got to play uh, extensively. Uh, I posted a bunch of pictures on the thread if you guys want to just see a bunch of random stuff. Um, I did not get to play Black Angel. Uh, I took some pictures of it. It looked interesting. Uh, it looks pretty heavy for what I usually like to play, but I still may check it out. Uh, but also knowing that it's Asmodee, it's going to be everywhere soon, so I wasn't too worried about picking it up at the show. It also, I don't know if you know this, Mike, it's got Solitaire. Uh, I know. Hot, yeah. I'm, I, I like the Solitaire games. So uh, the first game I played uh, is actually not out yet. It's called Deranged. Uh, it's by a company called Hobby World out of Russia. Um, they've done some other games that uh, they've published through other uh, places through the U.S., various publishers. Uh, but this one is a, they call it a semi-co-op horror game. Um, so it's set in a, uh, a little town where there are monsters spawning around and you're trying to accomplish various goals. Uh, and then there's a kind of like, uh, have you played Fury of Dracula, Tom? Yes. With the, the... with the time marker, you know, you increment it around and eventually it's nighttime and back to daytime and so on. Mm-hmm. So that's a big part of this game uh, where you ha- you start the game with these curses and you have some goal to get rid of these curses before night falls or before the next or before dawn comes, depending on what part of the game you're in. Uh, and if you don't do it, uh, you become deranged, which means your figure gets replaced by a monster. And at that point, the only way to turn back into a human is to kill another player. 
So that's the semi co-op then. So it's a co-op yes. game where players will turn. Ah. Correct. So you start out all kind of trying to work together and fight off these monsters that spawn at these gates. Uh, you pick up different uh, abilities and cards and weapons. Uh, the cards are kind of neat where they'll have, you play a card and it might say you get to move three spaces and then you get to attack for a value of four, which you compare to the monsters. It's pretty easy. And then once you come deranged, the cards you turn upside down and has different stats. So you essentially turn your whole hand of cards you're holding upside down while you're deranged and it might let you move further. Uh, it doesn't let you search things anymore. Essentially all you get to do is move and attack. Uh, there's uh, health and sanity meters. Um, basically, the more you do, the less sanity, or the more sanity you burn through, uh, and then you can uh, spend some time recharging that. So it was uh, very interesting. I'm uh, curious how this will play out. It was a prototype I was playing uh, with a board that kind of fits together multiple pieces. Uh, they said it's going to have uh, extra boards, and they're going to be double-sided, so you can kind of range the town in different ways. Uh, but I think it has a lot of promise. Um, like I said, I, we played through one day, uh, that I think normally you play through three days. Uh, it looks really cool. Uh, I would so check out that. One of the things that I, I worry about when I hear this is I'm always suspicious of games that have a trader mechanic where halfway mm -hmm. through the game, a player becomes the trader. Like mm -hmm. uh, when you play Betrayal at the House on the Hill, everybody kind of wants to be powerful because when the haunt comes up, you know, okay, one person is going to turn. Like that's the gameplay structure there. Mm -hmm. But when you play something like... Uh, like, Battlestar Galactica has a mechanic where halfway through for a balancing, okay, you're going to become a Cylon. Uh, and I always feel like a game that forces me to play it, and then halfway through, everything I did to help everyone else comes back to bite me because now I need the other side to win. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm always skeptical of that as a gameplay mechanic. Is that what's going on in Deranged, where if I flip to a monster... I have another way to win the game, or I can kill a human and become like what? What's to stop me from wanting to flip to a monster and kill the humans and win that way? So when you are the monster and you kill another human, you change back into a human, right? So then the other player gets respawned. You don't. You're not in the game uh, forever. You respawn at this graveyard. So after that point, you've set back the other player, and you can continue playing the game as you were originally because you still have the same goals of trying to get rid of all your curses and get out of the town. Is there uh, only by, one winner? Uh, it is based on who gets to the exit in time with all their curses gone. So there can be multiple winners. Oh, I see. But it's not like I'm. It's not like you and me and Tony are, are all collaborating so the humans win. It's like we are all each trying to get to the exit. Is that the idea? Correct. Like we can win we're, individually. Yep. We're all trying to get out. Ah. Uh, it's possible for everyone to win. It's possible for one person to win. I see. Uh, but I did like this. You know, you turn into the bad guy temporarily. Which then makes you chase around the other players for a while. They if you're killed. a bad guy, can you win? Uh, no. Ah, okay. So I don't want to be. I see. Okay. So that's like an obstacle to... in my way. It's not like I switch sides. Okay, I see. Right. So it's you are hunting other players to get back to the normal game. I see. Okay. I like that then. And then you know, meanwhile, there's still the uh, the AI controlled things spawning and, and uh, messing oh, with people as well. What's the theming like? What kind of monsters are they? Is this? It's obviously not a Lovecraft thing. I take it, right? No, it it is. Um, they have. It's more kind of classic horror with zombies and ghosts and stuff. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I was I was impressed. Um, seemed to get get pretty good buzz from uh, uh, reports I've read where people played the demo at the show. Mm -hmm. So uh, right now they don't have a U.S. publisher, so I'm not sure when it's coming. Ugh. Out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. You guys ready to order board games from Russia? <laughs> <laughs> How's the ruble uh, looking on the international market these days? Right. All right, uh, deranged. Cool. 
next thing I played was Reavers of Midgard, which is a uh, sequel to uh, one of a game I know Tom you like, Champions of Midgard. It's one Real of quick, the, the picture that you posted and then wrote under it, Reavers of Midgard. Yeah, it's a board. Uh, the picture it looks like the title could apply to either the game they're playing or the dudes playing the game. <laughs> that was just from the uh, the people playing on the the show floor. Right, there's like a big old bearded dude there. Just like, is it is this a picture of is he a Reaver of Midgard or is it just the board that's the Reavers of Midgard? <laughs> so I was um I like you know the original Champion of the Midgard. It's a worker placement where you recruit these dice uh, that you end up using to roll for combat. And, you know they have hits or shields on them and so on. So Reavers uh, abstracted that a little bit where every time you recruit guys for your Viking ship, you have to roll it immediately, and then you leave the face that, when you rolled it, was face up on your card. And there might be uh, you know, a, an axe for showing that it's a warrior. It might be, show a picture of a ship sail showing that it's a guy who helps you sail, or there's a treasure chest. And then throughout the game, you have to spend the dice based on which face they're showing face up as a cost of doing your worker placement actions. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I want to go fight some stuff, I turn in, actually get rid of all my warriors showing weapons on them, and then I roll the combat dice, which are kind of like champions. Uh, if I go to raid a village, I might need to spend two of the treasure chests and then one of the, you know, the, the, the hammers or something too, just as part of the cost of doing that action. Okay. Uh, the other thing they changed is every worker placement space, everyone takes part in. So if you pick it, you get to do the thing first, we go around the table, and then there's an uh, advantage for you being the one who selected it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the in the base game, you actually only have one action. So you do an action, pick where you're going. Everyone does it at, to a lesser degree than you. Next person does it and so on. So you end up getting to do four things, but you only got to pick one of them. Right. So it's uh, it, the way they've made this a sequel to the original, I it's a significantly different enough game that I'm uh, very interested in playing it more. Uh, we didn't finish a game. I think we played three turns. Um, and then one cool thing is when you recruit warriors, you pick those card and it'll say you get two red dice. So you roll them and place them randomly on your board. And then you can choose to either turn that guy into a leader, which if you pick a yellow card means there's a certain symbol on yellow dice that becomes wild. You can make him a specialist, which means every time we go raid a village, you get to do something special, maybe change a die from one into another. Uh, or you can just turn it, uh, discard it entirely to get some more dice on your ship. So very cool. Um, like I said, we get to play two or three turns. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, getting that. That's coming out very soon, actually. Um, let's see. Then the other one I played was called Tribes Dawn of Humanity, uh, which is um, it's not a worker placement. I guess you'd call it a tile placement. You are uh, developing technologies from your little cavemen kind of guys. Is this uh, an to... add-on to something, or it's a, it's a standalone nope. game? Brand new game. Okay. So I know it's confusing with something like... Uh, uh, you know, Rise of Tribes or one of those, but it's its its own. Okay, because, yeah, I'm definitely um, thinking there was something else called something like Tribe, something, something, Tribe. So, okay, so it's own yeah. game. So you start with, um, you have your own little mini board of hexes. You start with three of them, and it'll have, you know, might have wheat on it or might have some rocks, kind of so, uh, a resource that you need. And then based on what you want to develop technology-wise, there's these different tiers, there's three of them. Uh, you have to pay, uh, have your little worker guys on those to provide the resources to build that. So it might be, um, you know, you're on the uh, two wheats and a horse, and it lets you develop. Uh, let's, you know, I was looking at pictures; and these are in German, <laughs> but it might be, you know, writing or it's kind of like the civilization kind of technologies. Right. Uh, 
Uh, and then as part of those, you get more abilities. You might be able to be your whole tribe gets better at fighting or you can walk further or you're better at procreating or you're better at exploring. And those things, uh, so when you explore, you essentially get to draw a tile from a bag and make your little area bigger. When you procreate, you get more guys to then have walking around your little hexes. Uh, fighting usually is a substitution where you can use that in lieu of some other uh, uh, resource to do something. And then walking is how far you can spread them around your little map that is building. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting kind of game. It's one of those ones where everyone's kind of playing. It's a solitaire on their own little board. And That's it's what I wondered for, about. Yeah, how yeah, interactive is it? Yeah. Race for points at the end. But one cool thing they did is the actions you can take. Uh, there's these random circles that you line up in a row. And it has the mechanic where if you pick the first one, it's fine. If you pick the second one, you have to pay one on the first one you skipped and so on. You know, so if you take the fifth action, you're putting a coin down on each of the, the first mm-hmm. four of them. Yep. But then when you take the action, you get the reward. But then that action goes to the end of the line. So the even though you may want to go explore, you may not be able to afford to explore because it's the third action. And you may have to just settle on taking the first one. Uh, and then what's interesting is some of these uh, technologies that you develop create other actions that are temporary that go on the line. And not all uh-huh. of them are good. So there might be an action that is a drought, which makes you destroy two of your wheat fields. And that eventually, because no one's going to pick it, ends up being first in the line of actions. Oh, right. You can see it coming. Like, right. I like that. And if, yeah. and if you don't have the resources to skip it, you're going to have to pick it anyway. <laughs> so right. it's kind of a clever uh, cycling mechanism of what actions you can take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the board has, there's uh, four spots for each tier of technology. And essentially you build one, then you can build the one right above it. And then once in the game, you have an arrow you can place on the board to kind of cross over to an adjacent column. So you can go from here over to here, and then anyone can follow that same kind of uh, arrow up. That was uh, interesting. Uh, it was it seemed to be selling pretty well. I saw a lot of copies floating around the store. Not super heavy. Um, Who makes this? Is it someone uh, we know from something else? It's published by Cosmos. Okay, they yeah, the, sure. Yeah. The games are a German company. Cosmos with a K. Just so yep. folks know. Uh, yep. Designer is Rustan Hockenson. Uh, what else has he made? Dungeon Tony, do you Rush. know what, what Cosmos games you and I really like? We lost Tony. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, well, they, they make a game called Legends of Andor, which which uh, which I really oh. like. So, And they also make... Uh, yeah, but I've seen Cosmos' name forever. All right, cool. Good. Yeah. So those are the ones I want, kind of wanted to cover overall. Um, I did manage to pick up a copy of the Quacks of Quidlinburg expansion. Right, yeah, because you like that game. I do. They only had 20 copies they were selling a day, so... The first day I rushed over there. This is one of those things where the game has been printed in China. It's on a boat to get here, but they airshipped, you know, a handful for sale at the con. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why a lot of these companies have very limited quantities of things. So anxious to try that as well. What what uh, is a so what's the name of the expansion for it's Quaxin? Called the, it's called the Herb Witches. Oh right um, right right! I did see that earlier. <laughs> I thought yeah, because it almost made me think like. Uh, stoners would love that right. expansion <laughs> name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Herb Witches. That's cute. All right. And uh, I read through the rules. We didn't play it yet. Um, it adds a mechanism of these. Uh, there's these three witches that get assigned from the game. Uh, each of them, there's four possibilities. And they give you some special ability that you can use once through the game. Uh, mm-hmm. might be that you get to get both your victory points and your money to purchase new chips. Uh, even when your pot explodes, you can do that once. Uh, and then it also adds uh, a new... Uh, some more components like the pumpkins. There's a giant version of them that are six instead of one. Uh, it adds uh, a kind of a wild token, a chip that works as anything. Uh, and then it has um, 
some new variants. You know, have you played Quacks before, Tom? I don't know if you. No, I just it. know about it from okay. when you talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. So each of the different chip colors uh, in the base game has four variants of what it might do during a game, and they add two more for each of those. So it adds quite a bit of replayability and new stuff to the game, and lets you play five players instead of just four. And is it one of those things too where you wouldn't dream of introducing it until people already know the game, or is it something you can just throw in and, and bring new players in with the expansion? Uh, I think you could do you could add it to the the main, main game and teach them that way. Um, I would go through you know a turn of without talking about the extra stuff first, and then right. just say, oh, and here you can break the rules in these three ways. I always I always that always bums me out when there's a really cool expansion for a game that adds really cool stuff. But unfortunately, I wouldn't throw people into it on the first game, so we have to play vanilla a few times first and then add the expansion stuff. And right. I love the expansion. I'm so eager to get it in there, but no, I, I shouldn't overwhelm people with all this extra stuff yet. So yeah. yeah. And I remember doing that with you know the original Arkham Horror, right? Having to right. pull those card decks and pull stuff out <laughs> and look at the stupid little symbols in the corner. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, but overall, Gen Con was really good. Um, there's always way more to do than you have time for, but. Uh, I'll, I'll be going back next year. <laughs> uh, and you met some folks. Do you, you actually play games with some yeah, of the folks on the forum? Did you play uh, games with, that new games I, or, or established games you already knew? Uh, the last few years, I played in uh, Armando Pen Penblades. He runs a Fate RPG. Uh, so I've oh, been, you I played book. a tabletop nerdy RPG D and D I thing. I did. So that he runs those like crazy. He runs around like I don't know eight sessions of them, uh, and I signed up for one, and it was fun. It was a little. Uh, we were playing ghosts in a manner trying to scare away the new occupants. <laughs> well, I know that Armando is a uh, – because I've talked to him about this before. Like just as far as tabletop RPGs, he's one of those guys who I think really understands the fine art of being a DM for one of those because that's a real talent, by the way. Right. That's one yeah, of, and it's, it's that's one of my a... issues too with tabletop gaming. It's it's only ever as good as the guy who's DMing the game generally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and he, he's really good at it and makes it a lot of fun and comes prepared with these you know, dry erase character sheets and it's – it was right. great. Right. Uh, all right. So uh, of the things you've mentioned, Deranged, Reavers of Midgard, Tribes, Dawn of Humanity, Quackling, Quacks of Quidlingburg, Herb Witches, uh, it's kind of a tie for me whether or not I would be most tempted by Deranged or Tribes. Yeah. I love that little queuing idea with the disaster and the actions mm -hmm. going back with Tribes. But Deranged, especially now that I know that it's not entirely co-op, and that it does it's not a traitor mechanic so much as an obstacle you have to deal with. Is one person always a monster, by the way? Like, nope. can you play through Deranged and no one ever gets turned to a monster and we're all trying to escape from the AI monsters? It is possible. Uh, I don't think it's likely based on how I saw the game playing out, but it is possible. I so love the idea, though, of, of we're playing and, haha, you're a monster and we're all trying to get away from you and we're going right. to make you lose the game. <laughs> and, that, and that might happen when, you know, you're inside a building with someone, too, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a uh, so a Russian game with no U.S. publisher. I guess that's part of why they come to Gen Con, right? Is to yeah, shop and, around for a U.S. publisher. And they have they've done a bunch of other games that have been published. So I think they're just negotiating oh. with to see who gets who publishes. Oh, good, games. good, good. Okay, because I almost I got the impression of just these these plucky Russian board game designers making their first game and coming over to the U.S. trying to sell it. Okay, good. So they know what they're doing. That's always yeah. Good and, and it's it seems like they've been around a little bit. There's you know. Uh, Let's see here. I know, like, uh, for example, they're doing Fury of Dracula 3rd Edition. They got the rights for that, where Fantasy of like got fourth. Wait, there's a 3rd Edition of Fury? Oh, no, there's a 4th Edition, Tom. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We're done. Our... You know, although, I guess I, there are issues that, the, the whatever the last issue is that I got, I mean, that even still, that my problem with that, it's a super long game. 
Have you right. played Fury of Dracula lately? I I've played it, and the last time I played it, everyone kind of like, uh, is this game over yet? Yeah, for a hidden <laughs> movement game, I really feel like it wears out its welcome. Uh, right. Yeah, so they could they could make that a bit snappier. So, all I'm right, a, maybe I'm okay with I'm, one more edition of Fury of Dracula. <laughs> I'm I'm with you. Um, yeah. I'm most excited to think about Reavers, just because you know we like Champion so much, and it was a nice, fresh, new take on it. So, I'm you know my issue with that though, Mike. What's up? I have. So, I feel like I can still get so much mileage out of Champions of Midgard. Like that game has not exhausted yeah. its potential for me yet. There's still so much there. Yeah. That's why I was happy that this was different enough that it doesn't feel right. like just you know Champions 1.5. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. So uh, we have Elder Sign. Thumbs down. Unless you got Gates of Arkham. Thumbs up. Set a watch. Tony and I both liked it. I think it's too easy. Uh, but I really like what they're doing. Uh, so set a watch, thumbs up. Uh, I guess, yeah, Mike, you wouldn't have picked any of these unless you were thumbs up on them, I guess. Right, so yeah, thumbs all, up. These I, mm-hmm. all these I enjoyed, so. Yeah, so Deranged, <laughs> Reavers of Midgard, Tribes, Dawn of Humanity, Quacks of Qui- Qui- Quidlingburg, is that right? Quidlinburg, yeah. Quidlinburg, <laughs> Herb Witches, yeah. Uh, and real quick, so we don't know when Deranged is out. Reavers of Midgard, I think you said that one is imminent? Yeah, that's in the next few weeks. Uh, Tribes is actually showing up this week. Ooh. Uh, and then Set a Watch, I think, is about a month or so out. Okay. And uh, the uh, Herb Witches, is that how far out is that? Is that available? They, the guy at North Star Games told me September, so. Oh, good know. lord. Okay, so yeah, a month yep. or so. Yeah, good. All right, thanks everyone for listening. We will be back in two weeks with more board game talk. And uh, Hassan Lopez will be joining us back then. He's out on assignment. He'll be back in two weeks with me and Mike Pullman. We'll talk to everyone then. Thanks for listening. Cheers.